As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is HudsonRiverRadio.com. This is Travis Walton, and you are listening to UFO Headquarters. And good evening, everybody, here on Earth, in the stratosphere, the space, wherever you might be listening to us, this is UFO Headquarters. I am Michael Warden, and as always, with Linda Zimmerman. Linda, good evening. Hello, how are you tonight? I'm not too bad. I'm excited about this show. This is going to be a great one. Yes, because um, not only has our guest um, written a fascinating new book, the, the Flying Saucer Investigators, but in my personal opinion, he has one of the best voices on radio. So uh, welcome, Charles Lear. Well, that's quite an introduction. Thank you, Linda. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have enjoyed listening to your audio blogs for Martin Willis's podcast, UFO, and also... Are you the one? Oh, thank you. I'm the one who's been <laughs> listening. No, they're wonderful. And um, give us an idea of how you got into uh, the same rabbit hole that Mike and I have fallen into all these years. <laughs> uh, I was born interested in the paranormal and UFOs and everything strange. I watched every documentary I could find. And when I started uh, blogging for Martin was really when I really started researching and getting to know what was what. And writing for Martin, I really found my niche, well, how I like to approach the subject. So I've been writing for Martin for about four years. It actually started because uh, I didn't want to get a PayPal account. He used to have a second hour uh, premium. So you had to join. Um, and I said, Hey, how about I, uh, I'll write you a guest blog instead of uh, joining. Can I get your second hour? Oh, <laughs> he said, okay. <laughs> nice. So that's, that's how I got going. And then I've been doing it a uh, once a week, almost every single week for four years, about. Mm -hmm. uh, then the audio blogs came up because uh, I thought I wanted to be an audiobook reader, and I thought that'd be a good way to practice them. And uh, oh. so now I've been doing them, I think, steadily uh, for about two years. And and do you do audiobook reading? No, that's way too much work. Oh, not, okay. those, those, those little audio blogs. I'm, I'm a fastidious editor. So uh, they, they, they take me uh, about four hours each to uh, record and edit. Wow. And, and they're what, about less than 10 minutes? Yeah, yeah, generally. See, people don't understand what goes into every minute of on-air time. Um, that's impressive. Oh, that's dedication <laughs> or, or obsession, obsessive compulsive disorder. <laughs> you could look at it either way. Yeah, we're all in that club, aren't we? <laughs> you're in, you're in very good company here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what uh, gave you the idea to do the book? 
Well, Martin pointed out to me how much material I had and said, you should put it together, compile it and turn it into a book. And I had actually gotten the idea to write about the investigators. I primarily reading John Keel's uh, The Mothman Prophecies, he had these fascinating characters, Jim Mosley, Gray Barker, Ivan T. Sanderson. I'm like, who are these people? They sound really interesting. And I started looking into them. I said, you know what? This would make a really good book uh, as well as, and it, uh, I pitched, uh, Martin hooked me up with Philip Mantle, who runs Flying Disc Press, and pitched the idea to him and he immediately said yes so off to the races oh that's fabulous and it's a it's a topic that even you know somebody like myself who's so fascinated by the field we're so absorbed in the present and interviewing people and getting cases we kind of forget where ufology came from and uh the the topics you're writing about was kind of the wild west days of the of ufology where everything was new and some people were off the rails but you had people who were doing really really good work yeah so yeah. um it, it was a mixture and you you know you needed to watch where you stepped and who you put your trust in and um you know, yeah, not, you want not like today at all. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a mirror image now that you mention it. No, um, the more things change, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So but what was uh, uh, really different about those days was that they really thought an answer was right around the corner. And uh, that that's a really interesting aspect to it. Mm -hmm. um, but here we are 75 years later. Yeah, I think it was one of Valet's, uh, Jacques Valet's early books, and I'll never forget this line. He, this was in the 50s, I think, and he was saying, um, we can no longer uh, dismiss the UFO phenomenon. We have such a wealth of information. It's, you know, now is the time it's going to be solved and we're going to know everything. Uh, eh. <laughs> Yeah. And, and and even still, you know, uh, we have congressional hearings, which is nice. Will it give us any answers? I, yeah. I doubt it. Well, uh, something occurred to me very recently, like within the last couple of days. And uh, I brought it up in the last couple of podcasts I've been in. But the main thing that uh, Scott Bray was emphasizing in the uh, congressional hearings was destigmatizing UFO reports and setting up a protocol for reporting. So if reporting UFOs is stigmatized, stigmatized in the military and there's no reporting protocol, how can they have more information than private investigators who encourage reporting and actually go out and investigate? Well, see, now you're being rational. And that, <laughs> sorry, does, that does not jive with yeah. the US government. It, it was a thought, but you know, I, I just wanted to throw that out there. That That's like my, my sound bite. <laughs> for yeah. a little bit what amazed me watching them was when um i don't recall who it was brought up the malmstrom Mind air blowing. force base what what's that <laughs> oh, like, oh perfect perfect it's well, like that was before 2004 we you know that didn't yeah exist. we don't want to look at anything before 2004 <laughs> because clearly there's no evidence of <laughs> yeah. mike did you get to watch those hearings no, I missed it. I sort of saw some of the recaps online, but I'll have to go back and sit through them if I if I can. Uh, actually, I think a, a better advice would be to check out uh, uh, John Greenwald's uh, The Black Vault. He he summarizes it really neatly and also uh, has a thing with highlights. Or lowlights, as the, <laughs> yeah, as the case may be. Speaking of lowlights, perhaps, uh, Neil, this is a good spot for our first break. We have we have two short breaks let's uh, do this and when we come back let's dive into the book hudsonriverradio.com hi this is mercedes kent and big jim wheeler and we're on the silver screen and we're going to be talking about show business movies and tv well, just about anything you want to hear the silver screen right here on hudsonriverradio.com entertainment ensues 
subscribe to The Silver Screen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, or wherever you get your podcasts. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Karen Noe here. Did you know that you can now subscribe to all of Hudson River Radio's podcasts? including the Angel Quest Show. And of course, they're always available right in our Hudson River Radio app. You can hear our podcasts anytime and anywhere. You can also sponsor one of our shows to get your messages heard locally and around the world. Just shoot an email to info at HudsonRiverRadio.com and we'll get you started. That's info at HudsonRiverRadio.com. Subscribe to the Angel Quest show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, or wherever you get your podcasts. HudsonRiverRadio.com, a subsidiary of Glacier Entertainment, LLC, blasting the competition in New York's Hudson Valley. And we are back from that short break and speaking with our special guest tonight, author Charles Lear, who has recently released a fascinating book, The Flying Saucer Investigations. It is available on Amazon. Um, I'm told it's available in many formats, including Kindle, softcover, hardcover, um, audiobook. And Linda, before you, we jump in with Charles, I just want to compliment you, Charles, because I loved the way the book is written. It flowed very well, chapter to chapter. Um, the footnotes, I was very happy to see footnotes and a bibliography. I, I'm a, as Linda knows, I'm a stickler for research, and you clearly did your work on this. I mean, you establish your level of knowledge without it, it's fascinating. The amount of work that went into this, I can appreciate that. Just I want people to know, I mean, just a great book. Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate that, Michael. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I second uh, the motion there with the way um, you were getting into a topic, an investigator or a case, and then it you know, flowed into the next um, uh, chapter, you know, more, well, I have to find out what happened to, you know, this one. So, yeah. um, and, and, and Linda, I just want to add to, um, I was really happy about the John Keel. I really like John Keel. So to read a lot of those ancillary topics around him, like you mentioned, the people involved that from the Mothman prophecies, for example, that was like, I was like, my eyes were like, yes. So <laughs> I, again, just a, just a well done book. It would it would have been so easy to get mired down in the details where it became like reading a technical manual and you completely avoided that and made it into such an enjoyable and a fast read. Like I Wow, I'm, I'm 
Yeah, just, very, very happy to hear that. I, I can't give good you news. Uh, the compliments are just, I mean, they're genuine from, you know, Linda and I have seen a lot of good and bad written in this mm. field. <laughs> so. Yeah, John Keel actually, I, I, I quote him as, as saying, um, uh, Gray Barker and Jim Mosley were mystified how he was a newcomer, that how he knew so much so fast. And he said, I've written, read every book I could find on uh, flying saucers. And believe me, that's hard medicine. <laughs> I remember that the hard medicine. <laughs> well, since we are on John Keel, um, would you like to talk about uh, him and his place in the field? Well, um, leading up to him, you had uh, investigators like uh, the Jim and Coral Lorenzen, who had the Aerial Phenomena Research uh, Organization, APRO, and they. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were serious investigators. A lot of investigators were really approaching it uh, scientifically, as scientifically as possible. They loved to have samples to send out for analysis. Uh, APRO did that from the get-go with a case up in uh, uh, Connecticut where something shot through a sign and left some copper tracings. I think that was as early as 1953. Um, so from the get-go, and there was also um, civilian saucer investigators new york the same thing uh so they were all very science-based keel came along in the 60s and he was a 14 um he was also an autodidact he never went to college he was self-taught and yet he um wrote for encyclopedias and was a science editor at different points in his life. But Keel approached the whole subject as a Fortean. Uh, Fortean is basically people who are interested in strange phenomena. Um, They call themselves Forteans in homage to Charles Fort, who was a turn of the century writer who wrote books uh, about things like fish falls and you know, red brains and all the weird stuff that happens. He, one of his books is called the book of book of the damned. And this is because he considered these subjects damned by science. And yet he would pull his stories from scientific articles, scientific papers, uh, you know, newspaper articles and journals. Uh, so Keel approached it as a 14. Keel was open to the idea that this might also be beyond science. And he was a pioneer in that aspect. And a lot of people are starting to look at it that way as well. Uh, so that made him interesting. And he came up with some, uh, he, my favorite book of his is Operation Trojan Horse, which uh, I published, uh, I think around the same time as Mothman Prophecies. Uh, he had a lot of notes left over from the Mothman prophecies. As I mentioned in the book, that's a very dense book. It's about six books in one. And he had to, his editors made him cut out about half his material. Hmm. So part of that ended up in, most of that ended up in uh, a book called The Eighth Tower, but he read, wrote another one called Operation Trojan Horse. And he started to bring up the idea that this is, what we're dealing with is some sort of, um, intelligence that coexists with us and uh, messes with us from time to time, (laughs) Uh, among other ideas. Um, And he kind of wavered back and forth between, you know, straight up, we're being invaded uh, to we're just being messed with to this is something that just coexists with us and is actually influenced by our consciousness. So he kind of opened up the doors into, um, you know, a very interesting way of looking at it. Jacques Vallée also started to come to those kind of conclusions, as well as J. Allen Hynek. Jacques Vallée, for those who don't know, uh, was a model for Claude Lacombe in uh, Close Encounters of the Third Time. Jacques, uh, J. Allen Hynek was scientific consultant for the Air Force's UFO Investigation Project Blue Book and also scientific consultant for Close Encounters of the Third Kind and had a cameo. So, and he, after um, after Project Blue Book folded, Keel and Vlay 
they had something going on called the Invisible College. They were co-workers at Northwestern University. Uh, Heineck actually alerted uh, Valet to the job of a computer systems programmer, computer systems programmer. So, and Jacques Valet took the job because he wanted to work near Kiel. So they together influenced each other along the same lines as uh, John Kiel's thinking. And they went on, uh, Heineck went on to form uh, the Center for UFO Studies, QFOS, uh, and basically making the invisible college visible. But uh, John Keel is really the pioneer in this sort of thinking. Yeah, Mike, you, uh, as you were saying, you have uh, a, a fascination with Keel's work. Uh, what is what is your take on him in the field? Yeah, I I really liked his, you know, the way he tied in the various paranormal experiences that people reported over time from, you know, for, for centuries and that essentially they're all the manifestation again of some kind of a higher intelligence that we see them in different ways, but they're all very similar. Um, and just his views on how, um, I think the ultra terrestrials, mm -hmm. they're not extraterrestrials or ultra terrestrials, which I think is a really interesting term. Um, but just the fascinating, I mean, when I read the Mothman prophecies, I'm like, I got to go there. Right, Linda. I mean, <laughs> yes. Have you have yeah, you been I'm, to Point Pleasant? I, I have. Yeah, yes, me too. And the, I, I, and the I, bunkers I, and everything. Yeah. Yes. November. Yeah. I'll be there in November. <laughs> I did. I did an awesome uh, soundscape recording in the bunkers. They they have just the most amazing reverb ever, and there was a puddle with gravel, and and outside the 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 frogs and the crickets and you know all the bugs and the, the, there are ponds right. outside swampy. Of yeah. swampy yeah. yeah so they were making all their swamp bug frog noises <laughs> and so walk you know starting the recording there and then walking into the bunker with that fading out and then just walking and crunching the gravel and splashing with that reverb it, it made a really cool soundscape so wow well when i was there um it was a sunny afternoon and i'm um, walked into one of the bunkers honest to god some there was a knocking sound how you can knock on four foot concrete oh, and I, my eyes are bugging i'm like where is that i'm running outside i can't i don't see anything i run back in and i i i have no explanation for it but um it it made quite an impression on me because I thought, you know, there's graffiti all over in beer cans and everybody goes there to party. And I was going from a historical perspective. Well, let me see one of these famous allegedly right. spooky, you know, and then, um, yeah, caught my attention. Um, <laughs> wow. <so. laughs> but yeah, um, I, I would like to, uh, I mean, we can keep talking about Keel probably all night, but this, this character of Mosley, mm -hmm. um, you know, kind of the devil on the shoulder of ufology there, um, doing some good, but wow, pulling a lot of strings. Could you, and, and I didn't know, I had heard the name, but when I read this, I'm like, this is like some sort of Shakespearean character. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, in the introduction, I, I, I say the, uh, the investigators range from the uh, serious minded to the uh, mischief making libertines and he would be in the latter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mosley started a, a, a group called saucers and then uh he came up with words to fit the acronym afterwards, uh, society for, <laughs> I, I forget what it actually is, um, but reverse he, engineered his, uh, yeah, but he got together with a couple of, uh, ex, uh, international flying saucer bureau, uh, members. That was Albert K. Bender's group, uh, which he shut down because he claimed to have had a visit by three men in black, uh, in 19, I think he shut it down in 54, uh, and I, I don't want to interrupt, but, you know, when a lot of people think men in black is kind of a newish thing, but you we're talking early 50s. Yeah, right from the already get right I, from the beginning, the men in black. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't quite believe Bender that, oh, this is why I have to stop. Yeah, right. But it was a great it was a great cover story. <laughs> so he hooked up with uh, uh, August C. Roberts and Dominic Lucchesi, two ex 
IFSB members, and they put out a magazine called Nexus. Uh, I think there were 10 issues and the, the covers looked like they were drawn by a, a, a teenage boy. <laughs> Dominic Chessy <laughs> was the, the author. And uh, right from the get-go, you know, Mosley was saying, you know, we're not going to take this too seriously. We're going to laugh at it. Uh, we're going to poke fun at people. Some of you might get offended. You know, it's not meant to be mean-hearted. Well, Mosley ended up putting out publications until his death. 2012 uh, under the umbrella of saucers. So it could arguably be the longest living uh, flying saucer investigation uh, organization uh, there ever was. And uh, it was called saucer smear by the end, but along the way, uh, Mosley and Barker used to get drunk uh, together (laughs) and uh, smoke a little something, something. Uh, <laughs> and they uh, oh, they pulled pranks on John Keel. Uh, they would make calls. Uh, <laughs> Barker, uh, pretty uh, Keel was pretty sure Barker was making a call where he was calling John Mr. Keel. <laughs> and, um, uh, and just being really, just really bizarre. And... Um, like it was somebody pretending to be Barker. So, um, but he and Mosley got together. One thing they did was uh, there was a friend of Barker's. His father uh, worked for the State Department. So this guy got a whole bunch of State Department stationery and they got drunk together and wrote out all these letters. One of the letters, the most famous, they, they, for instance, to APRO saying uh, you should shut down because there's a, uh, a, a postal investigation coming your way. Uh, and also, but the main one was what's called the Straith letter uh, because it was signed R.E., I think R.L. Straith. And it was to George Adamski praising him for his work, saying that they supported him, but they couldn't admit it publicly. So Adamski's followers immediately held this up. Uh. Hey, George is on the level. So that was one infamous prank. The other one was the lost saucer. So, and I actually got to hold this. I was at a Clarksburg public library and I held the, uh, the, the wooden model that they turned on a lathe, it's about like that big, and they used it for a ceramic cast that um, they put on the end of a fishing line, held out in front of a car and filmed, and it became known as the Lost Creek Saucer. So Mosley would show this during his lectures, and Mosley was, for a while, just before he, he claimed Stanton Friedman uh, pulled the rug out from under him, but Mosley was... De- the go-to guy for a while as a uh, flying saucer slash UFO lecturer. And he would bring this film along and show it. (laughs) Um, So yeah, that was, that was, uh, that was Jim Mosley. And he had his fingers in a lot of different projects and uh, it's unfortunate um, hopefully so, in there somewhere, he did some good work, but, well, uh, he, he, well, he, he, he really, uh, ex- he, he pointed out the flaws in Georgia Damsky's arguments and mm-hmm. the, 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 he did a good investigation on Georgia Damsky. He called himself a skeptical ufologist. He, he was a prankster and a merrymaker. Uh, but you know, a, a lot of people really liked him. I, I just spoke with, uh, Gene Steinberg at a Paracast and Gene Steinberg actually was his editor for a point on a saucer smear. So Gene Steinberg talked about him. Uh, people say that uh, Mosley, that they never saw Mosley draw a sober breath, but uh, Steinberg <laughs> says he was sober during the day. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway. Wow. Um, Neil, should we take our first break at this a uh, second break? <laughs> yes. And then we will. Um, I'm going to ask you, Charles, what you who you think the best early investigator was. So you have a minute or two to think about that. We <laughs> no will pr- be no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> this is HudsonRiverRadio.com, your local Rockland County station. Gail Newcomb here. 
Did you know you can now subscribe to all of Hudson River Radio's podcasts, including Paranormally Yours, and they're always available right in our Hudson River Radio app. You can also sponsor one of our shows to get your message heard locally and around the world. Just shoot an email to info at HudsonRiverRadio.com and we'll get you started. That's info at HudsonRiverRadio.com. Subscribe to Paranormally Yours on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, or wherever you get your podcasts. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Linda Zimmerman. Join Michael Warden and me for Murder in the Hudson Valley. We'll look into notorious homicide cases from around the region and follow the case from the moment the crime scene is discovered up to the final verdict. We'll discuss the suspects, evidence, forensic techniques, and legal battles used to identify and convict the guilty. Murder in the Hudson Valley, only on HudsonRiverRadio.com. Subscribe to Murder in the Hudson Valley on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is HudsonRiverRadio.com. And we're back. And we have our special guest this evening, Charles Lear, talking about his fascinating book. And Linda, I know you put him on the spot. I think we should have like a tense game show music right about now. <laughs> but um, really quickly, before we, we ask him to name who he thinks is the best, um, we were talking during the break about Ken Arnold briefly. And one of the things that really jumped out at me when I first started the book, and I didn't know, was how the whole flying saucer name got started. And that was fascinating to me because it's a term that's been used for what, since the late 40s, and yet I did not know it had to do with the description that it was like a saucer skipping over water, not that it was shaped like a, a saucer. So, Ken, that was fascinating. <laughs> I got to yeah, tell Well, you. actually, a lot of people, uh, you know, attribute that to Bill Biquette, uh, the, the reporter uh, who first uh, quoted him, and it wasn't Bill Biquette. It started off being flying discs. And it wasn't until the Chicago Sun-Times that, it, as far as I could see in my research, the, the first time I ever saw flying saucers in a headline was the Chicago Sun-Times, um, supersonic flying saucers, I think, seen over yes. Mount Rainier or something like that. But, so we're going back to, for those who are not familiar, we're going back to 1947 with Ken Arnold sighting and um as as mike was saying he's describing they were they were odd shaped uh craft uh kind of rounded in the front and kind of curved and pointed in the back yeah, crescent, um, crescent, crescent yeah mostly, kind of mostly. crescents and um described their motion as like saucers skipping on water so it was the chicago newspaper that was that contemporary that yeah um, yeah that, that was within okay. within days I, okay I forget the date I, I got the book right here but i don't want to 
go through. <laughs> that's that's quite all right. Um, but so, you asked me who my favorite investigator. I, I would say favorite is, is uh, and I my favorite is J. Allen Hynek and QFOS. Mm-hmm. They're my favorite files. And mm-hmm. I've actually, they're available online, QFOS.org. Not all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, what's amazing is the NICAP, uh, National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena, run by Donald E. Kehoe. Uh, Mr. Flying Saucers are real. Yes. Um, and uh, and QFOS both have active websites, believe it or not. Um, and I know that NICAPS is run by Fran Rich. He looks after it. And so you can find original NICAP case files there. You can find every UFO investigator, their publication there. And on the QFOS site, you can find files there as well. And I think QFOS actually has uh, the Saucerian, which was Cray Barker's publication. Um, so those files are wonderful. And I actually got a chance to look at the, David, I, I got a chance to um, go to David Marler's place in New Mexico when I was out there. Uh, Martin Willis introduced me mm-hmm. and David invited me over and we hit it off. And uh, so I went there a couple of times. I'm going back there on the uh, 26th. And uh, but I got a chance to look at these files and they're my they're just wonderful. Uh, The amount of detailed information in them, uh, the way they're organized, uh, you know, you've got police reports, you've got, uh, you know, witness testimony. Uh, Actually, one thing I'll uh, try and pull up here. um, but yeah, the, uh, so J. Allen Hynek was a super, uh, his group, uh, was, uh, yeah, here I am. Oh, you can't, it's probably can't see it too well. Yeah, there, that's, a yes. Good, you see a robot and a humanoid and me looking like a 12 year old boy holding them. Those are, <laughs> Bad boy there. Those are original watercolors from the witness, uh, description, Donald Shrum, uh, who in 1964 was claimed to have been uh, treated by two of those humanoids and two of those robots. And the robots emitted a vapor that knocked him out. Uh, I love and- that story. <laughs> True <laughs> or not, I love that he was a hunter. And, and his, his friends, he was, yeah, yeah, he was separated. Tree. Yeah, and he, his friend said he you know, he said he he burned all his camouflage, threw it down to try and get these things away, shot an arrow at mm-hmm. the one of the robots. And they have a broken arrowhead that's got a dent in it as evidence. And that's there's a picture of that in the QFOS files. They um, and his friend said he came back wearing uh, his pants and a T-shirt in super cold weather. We're talking the mountains in, uh, mm. you know, Cisco Grove, California. And. Uh, and he was pretty, pretty messed up. So, and, and he stuck to his story and uh, thought, thought enough of it to report it. So, yes. So I, and Heineck's, uh, Heineck's attitude. I also, I, I really like his attitude, liked it. I still like his attitude, even though he's no longer <laughs> with us. Um, but so, yeah, if I'm on the spot, I would have to say J. Allen Heineck. Okay. I mean, now, he was I, there from the beginning. 19- right. Very right. beginning. Right. So, and he, he kind of changed his attitude. I was liking what, uh, you know, James McDonald, who was a physicist, <laughs> University of Arizona, was apparently verbally attacking Hynek for being too timid and that he should basically come out in support of the UFOs. Can you talk? And, and I loved this one thing. If, if I could, you know, get in a time machine, um, you write about a lunch where it was Heineck, Jacques Vallée, and James McDonald. I mean, yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> that, that's in uh, Jacques Vallée's journals. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, yeah. And oh, uh, uh, McDonald just laid into him. McDonald was absolutely, James McDonald was actually, when the Air Force was uh, motivated to uh, get a scientific study going, uh, and they hired the University of Colorado. The, gave the contract to the University of Colorado, and it was headed by Dr. Edward U. Condon. So the report they came up with is known as the Condon Report, which is infamous in ufology. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
Well, McDonald was hoping to get a little bit of that money himself and uh, do some research on the Air Force's behalf. And uh, there were some conflicts of interest and they thought, you know, uh, McDonald, uh, they thought it would look bad. So he, he was expect he was about to get a grant for uh, UFO research and um and it fell through, but he was working for, I think it was under contract. Mm. I, I'm not, he was under contract with some millet, um, government organization uh, as an atmospheric physicist. And they wanted him to look into um, the possibility of uh, using lasers uh, to uh with cloud uh, studies? Yeah, with cloud studies. Uh, mm -hmm. But it also involved, uh, and to look into UFOs right. in terms of that. And uh, in, in any case, that they ended up siphoning some money off to McDonald. And McDonald was able to visit uh, Project Blue Book, off the Project Blue Book offices at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio. So he went there. Hector Quintanilla was the mm -hmm. director at that time, and Quintanilla was uh, pretty anti, uh, very anti. Yeah, um, I, I liked the one line <laughs> when he was interviewing a witness. Now, what is this mirage you saw? Uh, yeah, that, that way to Dale, be an unbiased. Uh... That was Dale Spar, <laughs> and and uh, they they pretty much ruined Dale Spar's life. Uh, Dale right. Spar was a police officer, who, uh, along with a fellow officer and many other officers chased a uh, UFO all the way across Ohio into the Pennsylvania border. Uh, so, yeah, anyway, that was a case McDonald also wanted to look into. But McDonald saw the files and he was appalled. And he also saw things that Heineck had written off on mm. uh, in terms of the explanation, you know, Venus, uh temperature inversion, all that, those sort of things. And, and McDonald saw it another way and said, you know, how could he write this off? So he, he got upset with Heineck from the get-go. And then when they met, he just laid into him for, and Heineck said, well, you know, I, if I ruffle, basically if I ruffle feathers, I'm, I'm out of a job. And McDonald just, you know, he wouldn't accept that ultimately. Uh, he, he backed off a bit they, you know, they, they were civil with each other. Heineck did eventually started coming forward in the press uh, as uh, more UFO friendly and willing to look at the subject with an open mind, uh, his mind really being changed probably more than anything by the Socorro incident. Uh, but yeah, he, he and McDonald never really, uh, never really got chummy. No, I can't imagine, you know, meeting Heineck for the first time and yelling at him. What do they say about first impressions, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and we should point out um, the tragic. I, I think James McDonald was uh, as someone described him. I think you said in your book, he was just fearless mm -hmm. um, and wanted answers and thought these were extraterrestrial. And mm -hmm. and uh, he had a very tragic uh, ending. Yeah, Valet called him a bull in a china shop. Yeah, basically. Um, yeah, his 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 wife left him, and uh, uh, things weren't going well for him. His uh, he he was ridiculed in Congress. Uh, they were he was arguing against the uh, supersonic transport, uh, arguing that it would uh, destroy the ozone, and uh, I think the senator or a congressman. Uh, whose state was uh, going to benefit from building the SST, uh, basically put him on the spot. And, you know, so basically, yeah, I understand you believe in little green men kind of deal. I don't think those were the exact words, but right. humiliated him, basically brought it up uh, mm -hmm. to open laughter. And so that didn't hurt. But, uh, you know, from what I read, that wasn't really the cause of uh, his uh he, he committed suicide, basically. He shot himself in the head uh, twice. First time he was blinded, ended up in the hospital. Uh, and then he left, he got a cab, topped off at a gun store and did it again and finished it 
this time. Um, but from you know uh, what I read in uh, 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 my main source was Ann Druffel's amazing book uh, Firestorm, mm -hmm. and you want to talk about some heavy research. Uh, so you know, uh, from what I read in that book, it, it really seems it was more just his his home life crumbling uh, that that did him in. So. Well, but, you know, he devoted a lot of time to his work and, and his 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 archives are at the uh, University of Arizona. And there are I haven't been there, but uh, I've heard some stuff from David that there are um, amazing tapes. Uh, hmm. he, he investigated Westall. He also got in trouble for that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, he was out in Westall uh, in, in Australia. And, and that uh, was a school incident. For, yeah, 19, 1966, a bunch of uh, right. school kids. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so uh, I believe there are tapes from that as well. But yeah, I mean, McDonald mm -hmm. was, uh, as far as like a serious, uh, you know, he was an atmospheric physicist. As far as a, a serious scientist investigating this, he was... Uh, he was the biggest and uh, and really the the first to openly do it shamelessly yeah uh, and, and he, which is what the field needed at that point i think mm -hmm. um to to counterbalance the mosley types <laughs> yeah i have a place in my heart for the mosley types so. well yes <laughs> yes the, the showman I mean, um yeah, well I'm, and the ridiculous i mean dr frank strangest you know about him right and val valiant thor Oh, yes, please. Uh, <laughs> a few lines on, yes, Valiant Thor, please um, enlighten our viewers. Our oh, I was talk to, he, he's just a wild character. He was part of a group of people who were uh, giving each other diplomas <laughs> and titles, <laughs> you know, or, I'll print you up a doctorate. Here you go. And uh, you, you want to be a, uh, you know, a professor, here you go. You want to be a reverend? Okay, I can arrange that. So these guys are trading all this stuff. Uh, so yeah, he was uh, Dr. Frank Stranges. And he claimed to have met a, uh, I, I think it was another Venusian, uh, Valiant Thor in the Pentagon. And <laughs> just wrote a, wrote a book about it. And and uh, people bought into that big time. Yeah, and he, and he, got, a, he got an FBI file on him, uh, I think. NICAP helped out on that because he uh, inferred uh, that he was uh, working on behalf of the FBI on some things. So anytime you do that, the F, there are you get an FBI file. They'll come. I would imagine that's oh, not the smart, no, smartest no. <laughs> thing. We have no ties to the FBI here. So. Yeah. No, so yeah, there are there are a lot of there are a lot of cases that got FBI files. That's also a great place to go. FBI, uh, they have what they call their vault. Uh, hmm. So basically, I, I think to circumvent a lot of uh, having to deal with FOIA. Freedom of Information Act requests. Um, they and the CIA both made their own vaults, uh, which, you know, I think uh, strikingly similar to John Greenwald's Jr.'s uh, site, theblackvault.com. So they have their own vaults, but uh, there's a plethora of material to go through mm. there. And so, yeah, you see like case after case, um, somebody will write in, oh, dear Mr. Hoover, <laughs> that's the best. They write directly <laughs> to, 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 to J. Edgar Hoover. Dear Mr. Hoover, dear Mr. Hoover. Uh, I heard Dr. Frank Strange say he was working on behalf of the FBI. Maybe you should look into this. You know, those things, or, you know, I, I, I think this, the, the Detroit Flying Saucer Club might be communists. <laughs> oh, my God, not well, aliens was, are one thing, but we can't take communists. And that, that, yeah, that was a big thing with the contactees with their message of peace and anti, uh, you know, get rid of your atomic weapons. Isn't that what the communists would want us to do? So, <laughs> <laughs> they were quite interested in the uh, in the contactees and the uh, officer movement in general but yeah it it is it's as i said it's like this giant soap opera shakespearean uh tragedy comedy the the characters and the way you weave them all together um well, that, what that just really came about because it's it's chronological mm -hmm. so you know as and, and a main my main 
uh, the, the the guardrails were essentially the uh, the NICAP publication and uh, the UFO investigator and the APRO bulletin, which you know stayed continuous mm-hmm. all the way through this, especially the APRO bulletin, the NICAP. The UFO investigator, they, they, Kehoe couldn't handle his money too well. So they would, some, but anyway, that the characters would come in as I'm reading all the, you know, I didn't read every one of them from 1947 to 1969, but I looked at them all and skimmed them. And these characters would come in. And what's funny is, you know, I, I was like, oh, I got to write about James McDonald. I can't, oh, there he is. There you know, he all is. of a sudden. Uh, so they just showed up. And actually, uh, Jim Mosley's book, the uh, uh, shockingly close to the truth and confessions of a grave robbing ufologist, um, <laughs> <laughs> which he actually did in Peru. Uh, it, it, they, they dug into old graves, you know, archaeological. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, uh, Mosley with only the as a night. I think he was maybe 20. He dropped out of Princeton at 19. He was a trust fund kid. Um, And he was tired of uh, recreational drinking and skirt chasing, as he put in his own words. (laughs) And he, um, he, and a guy he was going to, Ken Kripine, a guy he was going to go exploring with, uh, got it in their heads to write a book. And he says he was probably Ken's idea to write the book and his idea to that it be about flying saucers. So long story short, with no credentials, nothing other than saying, I'm writing a book on flying saucers. He traveled the entire country and met everybody who was anybody in flying in the flying saucer world. And for me, at that point in history, every one of the characters that I wanted to write about were right there in Mosley's book. Which I he, he must have had some charisma to be able to <laughs> he, oh, he do did. that. Yeah, you should watch videos of him. He's a very charming man. I, 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 I like I said, I have a, quite a fondness for him. But yeah, so that's that. Just you know, using all the publications, they just kind of tucked me right in mm-hmm. there, and, and it, it worked. Yeah, I love going through those old APRO bulletins and uh, the old publications and some of the uh, magazines um, you know a lot of it is nonsense but in retrospect you look at some of those and well now that was a valid case and Mm. you know um, so clearly a lot of these organizations publications were they're trying to make money Um, and the more sensational the better but there were still these nuggets of excellent cases in there what what uh cases are are you drawn to in the whole history of ufology oh i'm i'm a sucker for humanoid cases <laughs> when, I, when i'm when i'm writing for martin it's all i can do to to okay i i i, I just wrote one i gotta go somewhere else you know and um you know so i i have to draw myself keep myself uh from writing about them every single time I, I, <laughs> but uh i and i i'm the the cases down in south america re- recently i've gotten a fascination for them they tend hmm. to be transport cases uh, really one, there was one very recently a woman named irma rick i think in 2021 um it might have it even been this year uh, she was a, a big woman overweight and she saw a flash of light and the next thing you know she was um 40 kilometers away. She woke up 40 kilometers away, sitting with her legs sprawled out on a, on a next road. And, you know, there, there was a police search for her that night and the, the, they basically called her husband or, you know, she called her family and said, you know, she, I think she figured out where she was. Uh, but there's police reports on this. Uh, they hmm. opened up an official investigation on it. I think, uh, a local um uh local courthouse opened up an investigation on this uh, they were looking at it as a criminal case as a possible abduction by mm-hmm. human beings and you know so it's got some actual stuff uh, unfortunately miss rick uh came 
out recently saying she thought she was impregnated by the aliens uh and basically told the reporter uh who was interviewing her you know maybe you could uh slip me a little something something because i need money for the ultrasounds so which is a shame because i believe something actually happened to her right and and i believe she was earnest in asking for money and earnest in her fears that she was pregnant but it didn't do much for her case unfortunately but if you uh, right mainly around bahia blanca in argentina there's case after case uh there's case of uh people in a on a road race that their car was just suddenly lifted up in the air that made newspapers there's cases of and people just all of a sudden bang you know you're 200 miles away in an instant mm. and, and so that those cases are pretty cool yeah mike do you have any uh particular questions yeah i wanted to I, there was a part of the book when you talked about Edward um, Ruppelt in Project Blue Book. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things that really I liked was how he felt that the pilots in particular, the reports were being downplayed and that they shouldn't be when pilots make reports. And that's something Linda and I have stressed how many times, Linda, when we mm -hmm. talk about, you know, especially in that post-war period, when a lot of these pilots had flown combat missions who mm -hmm. were experienced and then you know they're they're having the reports about oh, swamp gas it's venus it's uh you know you weather balloon they're chasing weather balloons and it struck me that he he took that approach like you know that they should be taken a little more serious and he also in, in all fairness said doesn't mean that they saw a ufo but they saw something mm -hmm. and that they should be considered i like that I'm, it was really fascinating yeah i mean in his book he mentions before he even got involved he heard some guy, you know, some guys were around the UFO desk and they were laughing, reading a report by a pilot. And he said, that's not right. And yeah, he, he maintained that attitude throughout. Yeah. He, uh, Ruppelt, I mean, he only was there for a year, but he got blue book together, uh, and really set it off on the right track. And according to who was in charge, sometimes, you know, it was a valid investigation. Other times it wasn't, um, Probably the best time for Project Blue Book was uh, after Ruppelt was under Robert Friend, uh, former Tuskegee mm -hmm. Airman, and Heineck uh, really praised uh, Friend as just being, you know, a, a, a balanced guy who, uh, I, there's a good quote from Heineck, I don't remember it offhand, but Heineck thought very highly of uh, Robert Friend. Um, so yeah, sometimes it, it depended on who was in charge. Uh, sometimes Blue Book was a you know, a valid investigation. Other times it was, uh, let's try and get the press off our back anyway. <laughs> <we can. laughs> yeah. So what, uh, what other projects do you, I know this is just done, but Mike and I always say after a project, that's it. We're stopping for a while. And a few weeks later, we're, we're on to the next <laughs> thing. So what, what, what do you have planned for the future? Uh, I got to do part two, the UFO investigators. <laughs> Excellent. Are you going uh, to be moving it forward in time? Yeah, yeah. I'm. I, I, my idea, I, if Philip's listening, this will be the first time he's hearing it. So you, you, you got first crack at it, Philip. Uh, but anyway, yeah, the idea is uh, to start from the termination of Project Blue Book and go up to Bill Moore's speech 1989 at the uh, MUFON symposium where he admitted uh, collaborating with uh, disinformation uh, mm. office of special intelligence agent uh, air force office of special intelligence agent Richard Doty um, oh, basically Doty. saying hey <laughs> you guys have been had uh, so but uh, it's a chance to I'm really not a big fan of uh, the paranoid 80s 90s ufology uh, but I am a fan of Jalen Hynek and the the work QFOS did in the 70s that, that's 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 humanoid heaven <laughs> you know you got humanoid the past you got Pascagoula oh you, yes uh, there's this country singer, Bobby Sands, that was, uh, <laughs> he talks about these guys with these weird gills. Um, you've got case after case in the 70s that are just, every one of them is different too. That's what's really bizarre about it. Um, but yeah, so that's the idea. And, yeah, um, do, you, do you see uh, many humanoid cases these days or are we, or are we yeah. pretty, yeah? 
No, I just beyond the grays. 2019 Florida, a woman claimed to see uh, a creature in a basically in a spacesuit with a big jaw. She described as uh, comparing a, a a pit bull's jaw to a chihuahua's. Uh, the creatures to ours, and she said she saw it climb up an invisible ladder, seemed to pull itself up into an invisible craft, and then just <laughs> gone. And you watch her interview, she's dead serious, and mm. she just seems, I saw a freaking alien, and she, you know, she just <laughs> seems, I don't know, you know. Uh, there was also a case recently in New Mexico when I was out there, and up in the Northwest, uh, two hunters were out. Uh, they saw what they thought was a big tent. They also worked in the film industry, and they thought it was a, a tent for a movie. And they went down a dip, came up. This structure was gone. Wow. Then one of them was out in the woods and, you know, out in the, in the brush uh, scouting for elk. And he saw a creature in a strange suit. Uh, you know, I think he, it was yellow and black. Uh, you know, some weird elaborate costume nobody would wear out there. Uh, and also just looking not right at all so you know that might be a little shaky but these guys stuck by their story of the 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 structure being gone so that that's one of them yeah uh, so it's all still happening out there uh, albert rosales uh, still collects i think he's still active mm -hmm. uh but he he's got uh, a plethora of cases um but but you know, I I am a big fan of the Hudson Valley wave as well. That's just unbelievable. And actually, what strikes me is that I was you know living in New York at the time, uh, in the city, uh, and I remember. Mm -hmm. Don't strike me dead, Linda. I remember <laughs> seeing that report about the ultralights and the pilots oh. it, and that was it for me i was like oh i guess that's it oh so it was an effective disinformation for campaign me, well, for you, you yeah that's all you down here in new york city yeah it was enough to get me to you know dismiss it oh nothing like, to I, see I, here it's well, ultralights I, did, I, did, I didn't see the you know reports about i wasn't into it enough to have mm -hmm. seen the reports of you know shutting down uh, the new york thruway you know with tens of right. thousands of witnesses and yeah, it, it, but it's just a good a personal example of how that worked on me to just mm -hmm. get this story to go. Away. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, that is still a major thorn in in my side and, and the whole, you know, wherever I go in the country, I'm still hearing that. Why are you writing about the Hudson Valley? It was it was pilots. It was ultralights. And, yeah. you know. It, it was not, <laughs> but don't get me started on that. Um, all right. So Mike, any, uh, any closing comments on any other questions? No, I, I'll remind our listeners that the book we're talking about is the flying saucer investigators by Charles Lear. It's uh, by flying disc press. It's available on Amazon in multiple formats and very enjoyable, but highly informative read. And from a very unique approach, you don't normally see books about the people investigate. Normally you read the books by the people who do the investigation, <laughs> you know? So this is a, you know, the man behind the curtain, so to speak, you're seeing these people learning their stories. And, um, and Linda and I, I mean, we both love researching and digging and those nitty gritty details. So I appreciate that 110%. And I really enjoyed it. And I think anybody into UFOs, whether you're on the fence, a firm believer, or don't know, it's a great read either way. I really encourage people to get out there and get it. Yeah, it's a human interest story about things that might not be human. Yes. <laughs> Look at it that way. <laughs> so, cool. Charles, yes, final comments. Final comments? Um, uh, I, I believe that uh, we're, I don't know, my personal in no final comments thank you for having me here that's my oh point. no if you want no please i want to hear what you were about yeah, to say there your personal oh, belief. my person my personal approach to the whole thing is that uh, i'm not interested in flying saucers i'm interested in 
people who see flying saucers I'm, uh, and people who investigate flying saucers and the interaction between people and flying saucers. Uh, I, I am interested in the saucers, but it, it's, it's the human interaction with the, the phenomena, the mystery, whatever you want to call it, uh, that I find the, the most interest. So um, flying saucers and the people who love them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that can be your third book. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, thank you for, for having me. And, uh, you know, sometime, Linda, I'd love it if you'd uh, drive me into a library someday and uh, show me some uh, really cool uh, UFO stories. Oh, absolutely. Uh, thank you for being our and, guest. And Michael as well. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And um, say hi to Martin for for me. Um, Absolutely. Who's uh, you know, I'll be I'll be with him tomorrow night. As a matter oh, fact. great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Martin's the nicest guy in ufology, and he's facilitated so many different projects and knows everybody and is very helpful. So well, I'm glad, uh, you know, he he was able to get you going on this. Yeah. I mean, Calvin Parker, you know, he, he got Calvin Parker out there, which is just amazing. Right, right. Amazing. Yeah, so uh, this field needs more Martin Willis's. Absolutely. Sure. <laughs> and, and, and more Linda Zimmerman. Oh, and, well, I don't know. About that. My husband okay. might have something to say about that. So. <laughs> One's anyway. more than enough. Uh, so again, yeah. thank you. And thank you, Neil. Neil, any comments before we shove off? No, nothing to, to nothing to add. So yeah, again, uh, stop. I'm, I'm embarrassing myself. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've really, really enjoyed this. And, yes. and I really enjoyed the book. And so Charles Lear, Flying Saucer Investigators. And um, we will be back uh, with with more interesting guests in the future. Mike, uh, want to bring us out? Yeah, thank you for tuning in. And you can always catch up with all of our previous episodes on your streaming podcast service of choice and hopefully you join us next time unless you've been abducted by ufos in the hudson <laughs> valley <laughs> goodbye everyone good night cheers hudsonriverradio.com your local rockland county station